Hello, I'm George Cup. And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast, so it's not a live broadcast. So please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions, but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. My name is Callum Gurr, and I'll be joined by my co-host and political officer, George Carr. Hello, everyone. This evening, Callum and I will prove to you that you can have impassioned debates whilst holding vastly different opinions without falling out at the end of the night. So tonight we will be discussing, is it time for tougher regulation of the press? What is the best way to solve the housing crisis? And lastly, do you want to have children? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week, well, actually a fortnight ago, uh, we asked you guys to answer or send us in the, your opinion to the question, Tell us one positive thing that lockdown has meant for you. And we've had some really, really interesting opinions come through. So the first one's from Mariam. Mariam says, I felt quite appreciative for this time. I'm not the sort of person that tries to find meanings in things, but I feel like we are always so busy in this world that this is kind of the universe telling us to slow down, pause and be appreciative of everything around us. Both my parents work full-time jobs and I'm at school with my younger and older brother. And we all have our own schedules. So really, other than Christmas, we never spend time together as a family. The f- now we have been forced to, and it's been quite nice. It feels like a really strange family holiday where we're all locked inside and can just chill out. I'm starting to go crazy, but I feel <laughs> like this has bonded us as a family. George, um, what did you make of that? Yeah, I think um, it is a really kind of strange times. Um, And I was only saying this today uh, with my family that I think this is a time where so many families are spending time together that never really had the chance to do so. Um, And I mean, you know, I I still have to go to work. But these the bank holiday, uh, the last three days have been absolutely lovely just to be able to be with my mom and my sister, just relaxing in the garden, being chilled, doing a bit of gardening um, and just being all together. And, And I think that that um it's it's really 
uh, exciting the way that jobs have kind of changed for this period as well in terms of a lot of people are being asked to work from home a lot of people are engaging in that technology that is there and I think because of that a lot of companies are going to look at this situation and actually think there could be a possibility of of allowing our employees to work from home if the facilities are there and th they can actually do it so I, I know it can be very easy to slip into a negative mindset about all of these things that are happening but to look at the positives it is could change the way that we've seen workforces and also change the way that families now go about ensuring that we do have that time together because I think after these however long it will be we are in lockdown after that time people will really Really appreciate being together and, and want that time again together what are your thoughts Callum yeah no I think it's um a really kind of it, it's brought together families in, in many ways the, this lockdown yeah. uh, I know in my, in my case it certainly has uh, I mean um I used to always you know be uh, it, whenever I come back from from university and come and stay with my my parents I'm I'm, I'm always out <laughs> Uh, so in the evenings, I very rarely would spend an evening in with them or at least a full evening. Whereas because of lockdown, I, I've a lot of the time actually been doing that. Um, so, so I think that's kind of been a nice positive development from this in that I've had a bit more of a chance to spend time with my parents, but also with my my brother and his girlfriend as well. So, so that has been just a, you know, a, a really nice experience, as I say. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So our second opinion comes in from Ollie. And he says, I'm trying to use this time to catch up on my schoolwork. Luckily for me, my A-levels aren't this year. They're next year. So I can use this time to revise and actually get ahead, read ahead, so that next year is a bit easier for me. I'm really worried about falling behind because all of our classes have stopped and we don't know when we're going to be learning again. When we do go back to school, it feels like we're going to be really behind in every subject, but I'm trying to do whatever I can to make sure I get good A-level results and using this time to stay on top of my work. Well, Callum, I think that's a very efficient way to go about things. Yeah, yeah, no. So it's a really good um, plan there from Ollie, really. I mean, tr trying to get ahead of things is obviously, you know, a very smart thing to do um I, I in many ways i wish that we we'd have uh, in a sense been afforded that that time obviously the circumstances in which we've been given this time obviously and something that none of us would wish for um but but obviously you can make the best out of bad situations and i think with both of the opinions we've had through so far um with we're kind of seeing evidence of people making the most um of this what, what do you make of ollie's opinion george yeah, I think it's really, really interesting. And actually, I think you you deserve a pat on the pack, um, Ollie, because I think it takes some real um, focus to be able to actually set aside some time to ensure that you are ahead of, of the game when you get back at school um, and to make sure that you, you're keeping your mind fresh in terms of, of um, you know, learning things. Because I think that over these months, it can be quite easy to fall out of that traditional mindset of, of going to school and, and learning about subjects. And when you go back because it's you know it's possible that schools will not go back now until september um so that's a load of months i think you know six months or so um and it means that your bright brain would be quite rusty and by keeping on top of things by ensuring that you are essentially ahead of the game is is a very good way to use this time um and i think as well it's it must kind of help your your mental state as well because you've got other things to think about um and to focus on as well 
Yeah, yeah. And just moving on to the next opinion then from Daisy. Daisy said, a positive thing lockdown has meant for me, I'm doing nothing. And I feel like I haven't done nothing since I was in primary school. And even then, I managed to stress myself out over stupid things. I'm watching films and series on Netflix. I started a YouTube channel and a TikTok. I've been chatting with my friends. You know, in the movies, when teenagers get up to loads of different things and you're always like, how do you have time for that? Aren't you meant to be at school? <laughs> That's my life now. I've promised myself that if we're still on lockdown, come May the 1st, I'll start being productive and maybe find some ways to make money. But until then, I'm living my life. I think that's, you know, a, a really nice way of looking at it just to kind of, if you're able to, to just kind of relax a little bit. What do you think, George? Yeah, I, I must say, Daisy, um, when Callum was reading that, it brought a very big smile to my face because it is so lovely to hear how positive you are and how you're getting through the situation. Um, and you're so right. I think that we sometimes don't realise how hard we all work, no matter what you do or what job you have or whether you're at school or so on and so forth. We all work incredibly hard. And it is so important that we do take that time off to relax. And right now is the perfect time to do so. And, you know, as as Daisy said, live your life as much as you can in the circumstances that you've got. Make that TikTok account. Go and make silly videos on 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 TikTok. I mean, I myself, I will hold my hands <laughs> up. I have been making very many uh, dance TikTok videos, um, and with my family, just to try and cheer things up. And and I've been posting them on Facebook to try and at least make some people happy. And 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 that I think is really important. So uh, bravo, Daisy. I think that is fantastic. Um, what what are your thoughts? Callum yeah it's not something I've uh, quite um, gone, gone to yet uh, getting a TikTok account uh, and I haven't uh, I did used to make YouTube videos well back in the day but <laughs> I'm not going to tell anyone what my handle was I mean I can't even remember to be honest um, but um, doing things like that I think is, is a really nice way obviously chatting to friends is, is a great way of passing the time as well well and obviously i think all of us have been watching loads and loads of films and and series on netflix those of us who obviously aren't um aren't still working i mean obviously george you you you're very unlucky and you're you're, you're still having to work <laughs> and i do feel very sorry for you now right then uh, remember we'll be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinion on at the end of tonight's show so make sure you're ready for that for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show but we've reached time for the first song break of this evening so we'll be back very soon hello and welcome back to to be discussed so let's move on to our second discussion of this evening and we're asking is it time for tougher regulation of the press? So a royal charter on press regulation was granted on the 30th of October in 2013. This incorporated key recommendations from the Leveson report, allowing for one or more independent self-regulatory uh, bodies for the press to be established. The press reg... The Press Recognition Panel, the PRP, came into being on the 3rd of November 2014. Two press regulators are now in existence. Most newspapers have signed up to the IPSO, which is the Independent Press Standards Organisation, which has no intention of applying for recognition. A small number of publications have joined Impress, which and this body is the Leveson complaint and was recognized by the PRP on the 25th of October 2013, uh, 2016 as an approved regulator. But 
is this enough? Are we doing everything we can to ensure that the companies that inform us of news can be challenged and scrutinised? Callum, what do you think? Uh, so I don't think that at the moment enough is really being done in terms of regulation of the press. I think we've seen numerous examples, um, e even in the last kind of year, of the, the press not having learned their lessons of the, the Leveson inquiry. Obviously, the Leveson inquiry was called into press standards because of the phone hacking scandal. Um, and I, I think we're seeing some sections of the press, uh, by the press, I mean the newspapers, uh, we're seeing some of these slip back into old habits. Um, obviously, if we look at, um, obviously, the very um, sad um, death of, of Caroline Flack, um, the media treatment of Caroline Flack in leading up to her death um, was terrible, really, in many ways. Um, and we, we've seen evidence of the fact that, obviously, Caroline Flack did um, commit suicide, and we've seen evidence of the fact that um, there was a, a, a knowledge within certain publications of um Caroline Flack's very vulnerable position. Um, so actually, the, the Sun published a story um, in 2018, so a year prior to her death, talking about the fact that, 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 that 999 or, or the ambulances had attended her home because there had been a, a kind of suicide um, warning there as such. And obviously, this shows that and the, the Sun continued this very negative coverage of um, Caroline Flack. And I mean, notwithstanding, she did have obviously certain allegations about domestic violence hanging over her, which obviously the, the media has every right to report. But even so, they continued with very, very negative coverage, which wasn't always to do with um, that, that incident, as I say. Um, despite knowing how kind of mentally fragile she was at that time. Um, and also it's kind of been called into question whether or not publishing um, this story about her um, attempting to take her own life, whether or not that um, actually did breach the IPSO code itself. Um, and so if, if indeed it does breach the IPSO code, but IPSO didn't do anything about it, it definitely tells me that there's not tough enough regulation there. And if um, they had been more active in upholding their own regulations or, or the regulations indeed themselves were tougher, then you don't know what, what could have gone different with the, with the Caroline and that um, kind of incident. Um, and there's other stories, you know, we've seen Ben Stokes, Gareth Thomas, we've seen many kind of public figures, celebrities come out and, and talk about the the unfair treatment that they've had from the press. And I think it, it's time to accept the fact that Ipso, as it's currently formulated, just just isn't working. Um, what do you think, George? I think that um, there's always a very fine line of, of how far the press can go and how far the press can report on things. I think that the press are absolutely, ov obviously, in their, their rights to ensure that the news is being told and that, that people are reading the news. And at the end of the day, they want to make sure that people are reading their own um, literature and they want to make sure that they can sell their literature. But there has to be that definite line between telling the truth of a story that won't necessarily harm someone mentally um, and then telling a story that is incredibly 
sometimes is is a very small snippet of the truth um, and then just exploiting it like anything. I think that, unfortunately, the press have kind of got into a situation now where a lot of them will take a very small area of the truth and then absolutely exploit it. And unfortunately, that will mean that the general public will then take that and exploit it further. Um, and that is where it's very dangerous. I think that, that it's it, there must be heavier regulations to come in to ensure that if if the, the press are reporting on people personally, then it we must there must be the 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 laws or the legislation in place to make sure that newspapers and the press do are not able to personally attack someone that can then make them do something harmful to themselves or other people um how you do that however is is very hard um because you might say one thing to someone and it might not affect them and you say the same thing to someone else and it will affect them very badly. Um, so it's a very, very hard kind of rule to come into place. But that's that's kind of my question to you, Callum. How can we ensure that there there is something in place that is kind of quite an umbrella kind of legislation, but also still allows the press to have that freedom? Um, so in terms of First of all, I'd say that it doesn't necessarily have to be through through legislation. Um, a lot of um, countries operate without their their press falling under kind of legislation, uh, as it were, um, and they kind of self-regulate. So, and, and that's similar to the system we have in place now. But unfortunately, in my opinion, it so who kind of. Um, regulate most of the press anyway they're they're toothless as such they 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 have power but they don't really enact it i mean they, they've got the power to to find um troublesome publishers but as far as i'm aware they've never once find anyone if you can comp compare that to um ofcom which regulates broadcast media mm. um they have fined numerous broadcasters uh, in their time so uh, and we see Broadly, I think the broadcasters behave better than what what um, the the newspapers tend to do. Um, so, I, so I think in terms of getting to a stage where we kind of still respect the fact that newspapers want the right to to obviously be free from government interference, but also ensure that they're not unnecessarily harassing people. I think one of the key things is just to to have a, a, a regulatory body that is willing to actually properly sanction um, troublesome um, newspapers. Uh, it's, I think one of the ways you can do that is that currently Ipso is funded um, by the publishers themselves um, through, a, through a kind of indirect body, but they, they fund this, this body. Um, and, and the way in which they try and ensure that they aren't kind of influenced by budgetary um, requirements in whether or not they what, how they make their decisions, Ipso, is that this funding is decided on a five-year rolling basis. Um, but for me, I think it's it's deeply wrong that the entirety of their funding comes from the bodies that they're trying to regulate. Mm -hmm. uh, if you compare that to in broadcast, um, yes, some of their funding does indeed come from the broadcasters, but it also does um, come slightly from government money as well. Um, yeah. And so it finds a better balance 
balance, I think, there. So I think that's one way you can make um, Ipso be more willing to kind of stand up to the big boys, as it were, if they were had a bit more financial security in that they're not um, funded entirely by the publishers themselves. But 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 also, do you feel as if though that that is kind of a, an issue that yes, as you say, Ofcom Ofcom, um, which is the broadcast kind of um, regulator, they will find channels if the, if they have complaints in it and so on and so forth. But a lot of the the news companies are incredibly well off, and do you really think that a fine is enough to kind of punish them? Is it is it is there? Do you think there isn't there should be something in place to make sure if if a um, if a newspaper company or a press release something that is possibly untrue or um, kind of a merged part of the truth? Do you think that there should be something in place to make them have to then, uh, if there are complaints upon that, make them then have to actually release something apologising about what they have been, uh, what they've just released? So the way that the current system works for both broadcasters and um, newspapers uh, is that they would have to release an apology. So so generally, if Ipso is to... Um, against the newspaper, um, then that newspaper would then have to publish the of that decision on uh, the with the kind of prominence that Ipso decides. So i.e. if the troublesome story was carried on page four of the newspaper, generally the apology or, or the um, the results of that um, adjudication, as it's called, would have to be published on page four of the newspaper. Um, so currently they, they, they are kind of forced to do that, but whether or not, um, sometimes they are as prominent as they should be, I think it's definitely a matter for debate, especially within newspapers, um, because if it's a really, really small um, story um, on, on the newspaper, then it's not necessarily um, going to actually be read by people. And, and obviously, yeah there maybe there is a question to be asked about whether or not um a, a regulator should be stepping in preemptively and stopping the inaccurate things being published in the first place but in my opinion i think that's very very difficult to happen um because if we that would effectively mean that every story has to be run by the regulator and that's just going to create too much bureaucracy and just very quickly, Callum, as well, do you think that in these situations, do you think it should be the journalists themselves that are punished or do you think it should be the newspaper or press company? Um, I, I think uh, it, it's undoubtedly got to be the, the press company themselves. I think the kind of indirect consequence uh, or the indirect punishment that the journalists will have is that their reputation takes a hit. They might lose their job if the, they're publishing something inaccurate. But I don't think they should be personally leveled with fines unless, of course, they're, you know, a completely independent blogger, for example, though they wouldn't really fall under yeah. it. So. And, and how do you think this poll is going to go? I think 70% um, of people will say, yes, it's time for time for regulation what about you
Yeah, I think probably about 65% of people will agree with us. I mean, you can tell uh, the person that's got a uh, master's in this, can't you? Or is or is soon to get a master's in this. Hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> but it is uh, now time to find out what you guys think. So you guys can vote on this question. Is it time for tougher regulation of the press? And you can do that at wizardred.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back after this. Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, is it time for tougher regulation of the press? And you guys have been voting away. So 79% of you said yes, it is. And 21% of you said no, it isn't. Well, Callum, a lot of people um, on our side on that one then. obviously quite sad obviously as a as a journalism student uh, it's very sad that people more regulation but I, I i do agree with them that i think certainly the kind of applying the regulations that ha are in existence now has definitely got to happen so that's that's got to be done tougher as it were Right then, uh, time to move on to our third discussion of this evening. And we are asking, what is the best way to solve the housing crisis? Uh, so the housing crisis is an issue that has failed to be solved by numerous governments. Despite numerous efforts like rent to buy and national house building programmes, no government has truly managed to grapple the mammoth task of getting enough people into their own homes who, own homes who <laughs> aspire to have one. Despite both the last Labour administration and the current Conservative government's pledging to do so, the minimal target of around 200,000 houses a year has only been met in infrequent years. But is the number of homes being built even the problem here? Does such a persistent problem call for a more radical solution? George, which of these do you think is the best way to solve the housing crisis? Start using greenbelt land? Use alternative housing options like permanent sheds and chalets. Build more affordable or social housing, i.e. the current policy consensus. Universal basic inheritance. Reducing investor and developer power. George, what do you think? Well, I, I think the first one we can uh, cross off our list is the uh, reconsider the green belt land. We have enough brown belt uh, land currently in this country to easily um, make sure that we reach the 200,000 houses a year target. Um, the amount of, of brown space is absolutely unbelievable. Um, and so many homes that are unused that can be re uh, refurbished and put back into working condition to make sure people can move into them. Um, I think that using green belts is um, just stupid, if I'm honest with you. A lot of green belts are kind of um, some of its farmland. Um, and currently right now, um, if we look at the, the whole situation around um, leaving the EU, I think farm the farming industry in this country is a real vital um, thing that we will need to go forward. And, and it's definitely something we should look at to build on. Um, 
I think there is definitely an argument to be had by looking at alternative housing options. Um, I think that the way forward of, of us living in conditions has moved on from what it used to be. I think that a lot of people would actually be quite happy to be in these gorgeous, lovely chalets or um, certain kind of buildings like that because it's they can be cozy, they're nice and warm, they're cheap um, and affordable, which is really essential, especially for the younger generations that find it hard to get onto that housing ladder i think right now the the what the the option that we have um in place which is the, the build more affordable housing slash social housing is a really key one and i think it's one that it is slowly working um i mean more people have been helped onto the housing ladder recently than ever before and also i think that in for affordable housing is is essential to ensure that younger people as well can get onto that housing ladder i mean there the, the housing waiting list for people that want social housing is incredible just down in our local district um, of Thanet where Callum and I are from it is very long um, and we need to ensure that we can house those people and then to make sure that the generations coming up are able to have those um, uh, have those houses as well that they can move into because it's so so important that we can still move out and still have a life like our parents did um, I think as well there is an issue with a lot of people having second homes i think that definitely needs to look be looked at and whether there can be a kind of um a backlash or a or a, a tax or a heavier tax to ensure that their second homes um can't always just be readily available because there are those that desperately need them but callum i've ranted on what what are your thoughts yeah i think the the second home issues an interesting one definitely um i, I think um some local authorities now are starting to take more action on that i think um in terms of um charging more council tax for people that have um second homes whereas the kind of consensus before has actually been to charge them less because the idea of council taxes that obviously if they're not living there half the year they're not going to be using the council services anywhere near as much but that kind of consensus um has now broken down a little bit um in terms of the green Belt land i just kind of like to return to that george um <laughs> so obviously you say it's a i can't remember your exact words but effectively it's a stupid idea um now do you not think though that the green belt in itself i mean i'm not for any second advocating building on the entire thing but do you not think that some of the land allocated under the green belt isn't necessarily um, land worth protecting well i i don't i don't see why we need to start looking at it when um we have so many brownfield sites that are still sitting there being refused to touch um and that's why i mean once we've got no more brownfield sites or we're starting to uh run out of them then yeah absolutely let's reconsider the green belt but right now there is no need for it okay okay um uh, and I, I do uh, agree with you, George, in terms of the, using alternative housing options, definitely something to look into. Um, I, I think it, it's something that could definitely be used for people who are um, are homeless or, or need kind of more temporary accommodation. I worry about whether or not it's a, it's a permanent solution, um, but I, I think it could be actually a really effective way to very quickly 
um, not solve the housing crisis, but certainly make it more manageable, get people mm. off the streets and, uh, and things like that. And it, even just out of their, um, their, their parents' homes. Cause I know there's a, there's an awful lot of young people that want to move out from their parents' homes, but, but they have to um, stay there or, or they have to, um, start renting rather than, than buying, which, um, obviously if you're looking to eventually buy a house of uh, renting is quite often pouring money down the toilet. Um, just George, I do have a question for you, obviously as a, as a sitting councillor, <laughs> do you, do you have any kind of stories that you can tell us in terms of the, um, developer or investor power? Because obviously, um, district councils um do do get to kind of sit in on on planning applications and um and indeed approve or, or reject them when I, I i want to investigate more into the question first when you say kind of power what what are you kind of um alluding to um so, so obviously it's difficult to say exactly but um obviously one of the things that we we were kind of thinking about here was that um developers often have the power to um, kind of change um, the the agreements that they've made in terms of planning applications once um, they start building that maybe they agree that 10% of the houses on the development will be affordable housing but then they when it comes to actually building it they're like oh we couldn't actually do that um, so so in terms of that power to change their mind so so there has been a lot of that going on, um, especially in the district that we we live in, Cullum. Um, and there recently there was a development. I'm not going to name it because I will get shunned to name it. Um, <laughs> yeah, but there was a recent development um, that happened that was said that 10 percent of what was built will go to social housing. But the current gui guidelines on social housing is if you build, um, I think it's up to 10 houses, then those um one of those then has to be social housing. So what he did, instead of building 10 houses, he only went up to nine um, and he said that he'd run out of money, which he clearly didn't um, because they were these massive houses that weren't actually really and truly um, cheap at all. They were very, very expensive. Um, but he gained that planning position on the grounds that he would provide social housing but he just decided to build nine bigger houses practically with bigger gardens um and not put the other houses in because uh, supposedly he ran out of money and and developers are very cheeky at those tactics i mean for example as well um in birchington where this which is the um, village i represent on the district council we are facing development of over two and a half thousand houses um just down well it will be an extension of the village and we have been fighting the battle for the developers to to try and get them to listen to what we want within it because you know the choice is out of our hands now um but we want to try and have an influence on it and it's very interesting the way developers are very kind of try and be clever because they know what they're talking about and us old folk don't because they they can they know the lingo we don't know the lingo so they can say a certain thing make it sound very fancy and we go oh yeah that sounds lovely and they bring it in and it's a massive block of flats and you're like what the hell is this um so yeah developer power is definitely something that is has to be very wary of and i think the government is in well, absolutely, the the best position to ensure that that they don't do that. But but also, as a district councillor, I would say that I would like to see district 
councils be able to have more power to to stop it as well right uh, and what um what which of these options do you think is going to come out on top in this one um i'm gonna say i'm gonna stay yeah i'm gonna stick with build more affordable housing how about you yeah i think so i mean it's a bit of an obvious one isn't it but <laughs> I, th I think it probably will come out on top as well uh, but it's now time for you guys to vote away on this poll. So that question is, what is the best way to solve the housing crisis? You can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And those options are start using Greenbelt land, use alternative housing options, build more affordable slash social housing, universal basic inheritance, or reduce investor slash developer power. And we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So before the break, we asked what is the best way to solve the housing crisis? And those results are just coming in just now. So, so George, obviously, we didn't actually get a chance to talk about universal basic inheritance. Um, do, do you want to have a go at just very quickly explaining that? No, I th I'll leave that one to you, Callum. <laughs> okay, of course. Uh, so universal basic inheritance is kind of what it says on the tin, I suppose. Um, so it's um, basically an allocated um, bit of money given to every UK adult at a certain age. Um, so normally they say at around 25, you'll get given £10,000. Um, I mean, obviously, we didn't really get a chance to discuss it, George, but do you think that sounds like a good idea? Um, if it was affordable, yes. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's always whether or not you can pay for it. But we've yeah. had the results come into that question. So again, it was, what is the best way to solve the housing crisis? Um, and you guys have been voting away. So 39% of you said, as we expected, build more affordable or social housing. 27% of you said reduce investor and developer power. 21% of you said universal basic inheritance. 11% of you said use alternative housing options. And 2% start using green belt land. Uh, so, George, I bet you're glad that people don't want to build on the green belt. I'm uh, I'm very happy. I, I I believe my rant maybe helped that influence that result. Yeah, <laughs> probably did, George. Probably did. I know. See, look, conservatives do love the green spaces. Um, <laughs> right. Let's move on to our fourth discussion of this evening, and as I always say, the most important discussion. So we're asking, do you want to have children? So often, when we start to look ahead and plan what we would like to do with our lives. The, the question that will come up is, will you have children or not? It is almost certain that after isolation, we will see what's known as a baby boom. But Callum, I, I can't believe I wrote this, but Callum, are you looking forward to the day where you hear the sweet laughter of your child? <laughs> that just sounds a bit weird, but um, <laughs> I, I do want to have children to answer the question. Um, what One day anyway, um, I... I think I'd like to have a couple of children because obviously I, I grew up with one brother and um, I've liked having a sibling. I know it's not always been the experience of some of my other friends who've had siblings, but I think generally um, children like to, to have someone else to kind of grow up with as well um, and someone to kind of um, help them against mum and dad, shall we say, or, or not necessarily just mum and dad, but you know their parents mm. i mean george I, i'm guessing i know the answer here but but do you do you want to have children 
Well, I, I, I always am kind of in a limbo where I'm like, oh, I don't really want kids. But um, I, I think deep down the, the answer really is that I would love to have kids. Um, when that will be, I've got no idea because um, I, I want to kind of focus on my career. But um, I would love to have children. And I, I mean, I, I think the most for me would probably be about two. I'd be very happy to, to just have two children. Um, I grew up like Callum. Um, I had an old, I have got an older sister. Um, and there were, there's two of us. And, and I'm, I'm kind of weird. If, if I suddenly ended up with three children, I would have to have another because I couldn't deal with having an odd amount of children. Um, <laughs> And because I felt feel like one of them would get left out and I wouldn't be able to, to do that to myself. So I would have to have another one um, just to make sure that everyone had someone to play with and, and go and do activities with. Um, but have you uh, have you got any <laughs> any names in mind for if you had any children, Callum? <laughs> um, well, I was just um, imagining your your kid um, asking, "Oh, why did you have me? Oh, because uh, we we had three, and we don't like odd numbers." <laughs> I don't think that's the best reason to have a child, to be honest. Yeah. Well, uh, right. In terms of names, uh, obviously, as an as an Aston Villa fan, I've always liked the idea of calling my kid Aston, uh, if it's a boy. That is, although Aston is a girl's name as well, so I suppose yeah. it could work for a gal too. Um, but other than that, I thought I'll um, I'll leave it up in the air a bit. Yeah, it's, I I hope it's going to be quite a while before I have um, any kids of my own. What What about you, George? Any any names? Yeah. So the names I would like to to give to my children are for a, if it was a girl, I would like Lily. So you'd have Lily Cup. I think that's quite sweet. Um, or if it was a girl, oh. I'd call, I know I'd call her Butter. So you had Buttercup. Um, <laughs> that's that's but- awful. You, so is Butter a name? No, it's not. But it's. I mean, she would get so bullied. It's unbelievable. Um, and then if it's if it's a a boy, I would have either Arthur, um, or Harrison. Sorry, Callum. And um, the the I so in my family, the traditional middle name is Lawrence. Obviously, George Lawrence Cup. Um, and it's been gone through generations in my the Cup side of my family. Um, so the middle name would be Lawrence. Um, so I definitely get that in there, and probably Roger as well, who who is a, a very good friend of mine. I I will say. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just um, this is more something I don't know, George. So in in terms of Lawrence being your like family name as it were as your sister got lawrence as the middle name then as well or is it just a male thing no so it's just a male thing so my sister's middle name is elizabeth which is kind of my mum's side of the family middle name okay gotcha gotcha yeah so you got both from best worlds that made no sense um how do you think this poll's gonna go uh i think I reckon about 52% of people are going to want to have children. What about you? I'm going to say 68% of people. Um, But there is only one way to find that, and that's for you guys to vote away on the question, do you want to have children? And you can do that wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back after this. Hello and welcome back. So for that break, we asked, do you want to have children? And you guys have been voting away and the results are in. So 58% of you said, yes, you do want to have children. And 42% of you said, no, you don't. Well, Callum, is that 
kind of surprising or not? No, not really. No. I don't think. Um, no. uh, it, to be honest, a little bit just because I, I thought that more people might not want to have kids than, than that. That is interesting. Uh, I, I thought, I don't know, I thought a lot of people would want to have kids. Yeah, I just think it's, I think when you're younger, it's kind of trendy nowadays to not want to have kids so much. Yeah, that's true. Um, especially, I think, if you've had little a little brothers and sisters, um, you, maybe it might put you off of uh, of having to raise um, little little children. <laughs> well, that's, that is very true. But thank you uh, so much for listening, everybody, to To Be Discussed with Cup and Gur. We do really hope you have enjoyed this episode. So... Uh, as mentioned earlier for the first segment of next week's show we'd like you to send it to us but we're after questions for george and i to answer you can send in those questions by email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through twitter that's at wizradio so remember to send us your questions to answer and we're really looking forward to answering those next week it's now time for george and i to say ciao for now so i've been callum Kerr. And I've been George Cup. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. Remember, keep smiling. Keep that positive mindset as well, because we will get through this. But we will be back next time at the same time next week for another episode of To Be Discussed.